Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be with us this morning to make yourself known. We trust that you are here with us. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in high school and college, and my youth and young adult leaders in the church were trying to prepare me to be a Christian in the world, everyone seemed to agree about the nature of the challenge that I would face. People, we all thought, weren't believing in the supernatural anymore. Science had answered too many questions, mysteries were in short supply, and spirituality and religion were being left behind. They were the province of the less educated and socially inferior. It was secular humanism that we were going to have to confront out in the world, scientific materialism. Nobody was going to believe anything that they couldn't touch or see or understand anything for which there wasn't a scientific formula. But now, not all that many years later, I like to tell myself it's not all that many years later, it seems like we were all wrong about what was coming. Because our current age is very religious, isn't it? There are, of course, actual pagan religions, all of which are on the rise today, Wicca, magic, what have you. Uh, The New York Times published an opinion piece in 2021 with the headline, Is the West Becoming Pagan Again? And the argument was, yes. A few years before that, statistics in Scandinavia showed that that region's fastest growing religion was the worship of Odin and Thor. And it's not fringe either. A few weeks ago, I mentioned Ellen DeGeneres' Instagram video featuring her out in the rain in front of a flooding river, warning her millions of followers that this is what happens when we make Mother Earth angry. Pagan religious worship is alive and well. And there's also plenty of worship that happens outside of anything that we might call religion, isn't there? Even amongst people who would claim absolutely no religious affiliation for themselves and who would probably say that religion is part of, if not most of, the world's problems. Think of the Black Lives Matter assemblies in the summer of 2020 or the abortion rallies that have recently begun to break into Catholic churches. You have huge crowds of people participating in what are basically public worship services. They have devout congregations, they have liturgies, they're overseen by a clergy class, they feature repeated creeds stating belief, 
And they go so far as to interrupt other worship services, tacitly claiming superiority for their God. Now, if you're interested in an only slightly less politically charged example, consider the church of Peloton. In-home exercise biking comes complete with shrines, sermonizing priests, and sanctification goals. But the example that takes the cake comes from an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about a neighborhood called Golden Oak in Florida, which is an exclusive Walt Disney-themed community located right outside the park at Walt Disney World. The homes and yards and common spaces are decorated to the teeth with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and all the rest. It sounds, well, it sounds hideous. (laughs) But listen to this direct quote from one of the residents who said that the residents of Golden Oak don't talk about politics, they just talk about Disney. Disney, he said, quote, is more of a religion. We worship the mouse. We worship the mouse. So make no mistake about it. We are as religious as we have ever been. We just have no idea where to direct our worship. Of 2,000 years ago, St. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. The 21st century West is just like 1st century Athens. There are all kinds of gods. Ellen is worshiping Mother Earth. I think a ton of people are worshiping a less specific pagan deity, sort of a disembodied karmic idea of the universe, quote unquote. This is the idea that if you put out good vibes into the universe, you'll get good stuff back. If you think I'm making this up, uh, put manifesting into your Google search bar. It is name it and claim it prosperity gospel for pagans. And it has millions of adherents. The variety is amazing. There are seemingly as many iterations of God as there are people. And that actually should be our first clue as to what's really going on here. Today, there are as many versions of deity to worship as there are people who worship them. So the Athenians have set up a center of temples, cultural facilities, and a high court in their city. And Paul notices that they've got an altar set up to everything. As he's walking around the city, he can tell that they're covering all their bases. In fact, they've even gone so far as to set up an altar to an unknown god. Like if some powerful that they had never heard of showed up and demanded to know why he wasn't being worshipped, they could always point to this altar and say, maybe we didn't know your name, but we were worshipping you just the same. They're covering their you-know-whats in a religious sense. Now, it's not hard to imagine this 
area of Athens being sort of like a shopping mall, but with different churches in each storefront. Here's the one to Zeus. Here's the one to Aphrodite. Spend a little money here. Spend a little there. Spread it around a bit. You, you, you want both Zeus and Aphrodite to be happy, don't you? And of course, Zeus and Aphrodite aren't alone. There are offerings to be made to all kinds of deities. Each one in charge of a very specific thing. One for good crops. One for advantageous business. One for luck and love. Today, of course, we don't do that. That sounds ridiculous, right? Making offerings at altars to Zeus or Aphrodite. We are far too enlightened for that. So I was thinking this week, what does our Areopagus look like? Which deities are the most popular today? Which stall would have the biggest crowd? Or to put it back in the terms that my high school and college youth leaders were thinking in, when a Christian goes out into the world today, what kind of worship are they going to find? What do we need to be preparing ourselves and our children and our students to face? And I think I know what the answer is. And the clue, like I said before, is the variety of gods that exist today. The fact that it seems like there are as many gods to worship as there are people to worship them. Now, the Athenians had set up an altar to an unknown god. But I think that most 21st century worshipers know their favorite god very well. And the reason they know their god so well is simple. People today, even when they talk about Mother Earth or the universe or even Mickey Mouse... People today are actually worshiping something much closer to home. They are worshiping themselves. My mind clicked back to an old episode of a TV show, one that I think I've used as a sermon illustration before, but I can't help myself. It's just so perfect. One character is complaining to another that he's just been diagnosed with high cholesterol. Now, this is the kind of guy who works out all the time, watches what he eats. He says he uses napkins to dab the oil from pizza. He's never had a donut in his life, all because he feels that he was made a promise. If he does the right things, he'll get to live longer. But now that he's got this diagnosis, this high cholesterol, he's furious. He feels that he was lied to. He wants his donuts back. And the friend that he's complaining to sits back and says, look, the way I see it, while claiming to have no religion, you are actually devoutly worshiping yourself. And now that your God has high cholesterol, you're freaking out. While claiming to have no religion, you are actually devoutly worshiping yourself. This is our most popular God today. So we don't go to a shopping mall of churches making offerings to a bunch of different gods. We go to an actual shopping mall or more likely to Amazon.com to make offerings to ourselves. One offering to moisturize our skin. Another to give us the appropriate accessories. One to help us dress the part. Another to properly outfit our family room or kitchen to make sure our visitors are properly impressed. Of course, 
the food and drink appropriate to the good life, and a sign for the front yard to tell everyone what a faithful adherent we are. And then finally, maybe a donation to a good cause to help us feel good about ourselves. After all, Giving Tuesday comes right after Cyber Monday. We are all still devoutly religious, but our God is us. And this is also the source of our struggle, why life feels so hard. That sitcom character is infuriated by his high cholesterol diagnosis because deep down it means he's mortal, that he's not a god, that he's fallible, that he will die one day. And so, of course, we get angry and rebel at life. We think we're gods. And gods don't die. So we assert our worship of self all the more. There's a lot of research about why people do things like donate millions of dollars to universities and hospitals and have their names put on buildings. Sure, there's the ego boost of everyone in your life knowing how rich and generous you are. But the research also shows that people are really trying to leave a lasting legacy. It is, in a sense, a desperate but totally understandable attempt to live forever. I might die, but the Nick Landon Center for People with Ears That Stick Out Too Much will endure. So... So what is our message for the people of the modern Areopagus? Our message to the world today. What do we preach to people devoutly worshiping themselves? Well, let's take our cue from Paul. The God who made the world and everything in it, he preaches. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So as always, we have bad news and good news. The bad news is simple, that none of these gods, Zeus or Aphrodite or the altars of the shopping mall, even the nameless ones, can help you. There is a God, says Paul, and none of these churches are his. And certainly installing yourself as the God won't help. There is a God, Paul would add today, and you are not him. All those roads lead to the same place, to the grave. That's the bad news in a nutshell. Your God has high cholesterol. 
and a fatal case of human nature. The final offering you might make to yourself could be the nicest and classiest casket that money can buy. But there's no avoiding what it's used for. To put your idolatrous God in the ground. You are but dust. And to dust you shall return. But there is good news. And Paul preaches it to the Athenians. Most succinctly in that last verse of our reading. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We have assurance in the existence of a real God found in Jesus's rising from the dead. If there is a God and you are not him is one way to state the bad news. There is a God and he has a name might be a way to state the good news. There is a God and he is the God of everything, says Paul. In him we live and move and have our being. He gives us life and breath. Everything we have comes from him. He's not something that we made or could make, something of gold or silver or stone. God is holy and righteous, and he has appointed a judge over all of us. In other words, your impulse, you Athenians, your impulse is correct. Even you, 21st century self-worshippers, you know deep down that there is a God out there, something that is deserving of your worship, something worthy of to be praised. You just don't know his name. He's not any of these silly idols, and he is certainly not you. There is a God, says Paul, and he has a name. Let me introduce you to him. Jesus Christ, Paul names him to the Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is Jesus. That's his name. The name that is above every name. The name at which every knee should bow. Well, God, says Paul, has overlooked times of human ignorance. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness. This sounds like bad news at first. There is a God and he will judge the world in righteousness. But it is bad news only if you don't know him. 
only if you don't know Jesus. And here Paul is introducing you to Jesus. Jesus is good news for the exhausted worshiper who doesn't know to whom he should make his offering, turning left and right, offering obedience and worship to anyone and anything might save him from death, even going so far as to worship himself. Today's version of the unknown God. Jesus is good news for people, people like you and me, who have been devoutly worshiping ourselves since Eden when we decided that we should be God. You don't have to be God, comes the comforting message of Christ. You have a God. His name is Jesus. He died for your sins and rose again to save you forever. And you might be hearing this and thinking that you never knew there could be a life where you don't have to be your own God. Maybe you're hearing Jesus' name for the first time. This is good news for you. Or maybe you've heard all this before. Many times this good news is old news for you. But this is good news for you today, too. Maybe you promised yourself just last week that you'd never try to be your own God again. And yet, here you are. You've been making your offerings to God after God, even to yourself. But you can see, off in the distance, the end. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's inevitable, inexorable. It's bad news. But it doesn't have to be for you because it's not in Christ. Death, even death, was not the end for Jesus and it will not be your end if you are in him. So repent. Come to Jesus. Repent and come for the first time or for the millionth. Repent knowing that you're probably only moments away from needing to repent and come again. You're not God. But you don't have to be. You're going to die. But there is one who defeated death. There is only one God and Jesus is his name. This Jesus has indeed defeated death forever and has given that victory to you. In him and on his account, by his finished work, you will live and live with him forever. Amen.